Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome to Let It Roll, the podcast about how and why popular music happens, hosted by Nate Wilcox. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter, at Let It Rollcast, and check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcasts.com. Today, we continue our special eight-episode miniseries on Netflix's Hip Hop Evolution documentary. Nate is joined by Alexi Old and Eugene S. Robinson, his cohorts from the YouTube show If the Shoes Fit. This week, they discuss Season 2, Episode 2 of Hip Hop Evolution, Out the Trunk, The Bay, which takes us to Northern California to talk about Too Short, MC Hammer, Digital Underground, and a young Tupac Shakur. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy. It's time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, and I'm joined once again by my friends and colleagues, Alexi Alb and Eugene S. Robinson, and we're here to discuss hip-hop evolution. We've worked our way up to season two, episode two. This is Out the Trunk, The Bay. We're going to speak about this in two parts. First up, Too Short, MC Hammer, and E-40. So, any general thoughts, fellas, on the on this half of the episode? Alexi, well, we go all first? got choices. What? <laughs> Eugene it says I'm going first I should have known no 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 no. I just went for E40 first that's all I see I see I thought, see it, was a weird, no- gonna, I thought it was a weird mashup of I thought it was an interesting mashup of a city right because yeah um, if you were to you're start with with this era. You're starting to get to like when I was like a hip hop head and like reading all of the magazines and all this, you know, and um, Word Up magazine, Word Up the, the source and all that, you know, rap pages, XXL, you know. So uh, the weird thing is, I get what they were driving. It's interesting to see a city broken down in terms of different kinds of elements. I think that's the way they're going to, but the exposure and impact that each one of the individuals they showcased had just totally disparate and just it was it's a weird the, the where they're from is the only, pretty much just the only similarity in terms of popularity impact you know so i, I don't know what you and, and, and eugene thought but it literally was like oh, here's some great artists from brownsville brooklyn oh here's some great artists from queens here's some and it's all over the place we want to represent everybody as opposed to spending time that's necessary we talk about cultural impact um that's what my take was on it and you well, i liked it but well, still you know you know the bay area uh, which we let's say san francisco oakland has always been a, a weird place for music right i mean you don't have you don't it doesn't it 
it overproduces and underperforms, mm. <laughs> if that makes sense. You got a lot of bands from the Bay Area, but how many people really know Tower of Power, right? I mean, you might, you, you, or, you know, you're like, I, I like the Doobie Brothers. They're from San Francisco. Oh, are they? You know, so it's always had this weird kind of small town deal with, you know, and I, and it, it just filtered straight on through to the hip hop as well, where you did have like huge MC Hammer, and then you have these kind of more critically louded, but kind of still niche. I mean, the, the, the glory of somebody like a Too Short is that he's managed to maintain this nicheness while, you know, uh, while being able to buy Rolls Royces and stuff. Well, it's a platinum niche. You know? I mean, he did yeah, six yeah. straight platinum albums. So that's, yeah. you know, but. but yeah, and also was... in a weird, in a weird thing that I'm not entirely sure I didn't hallucinate. I remember once being at somebody's place and grabbing a, going to the toilet, grabbing a magazine. It was either Architectural Review, Architectural Digest. So I'm sitting on the can and I stumble on a spread on Two Short's house. And the house was super tasteful, really incredibly well-designed, like top line, not with the cheesy filigrees that you've seen on MTV Cribs, mm. which is probably why you haven't seen it on MTV Cribs. It looks like a guy, it looks like an old, like a nice house in the woods, maybe, you know, Piedmont or the Berkeley Hills, really taste. And I've tried to find it since then and have not been able to find it online. So, and we got a glimmer of that when he was talking and he was like, I, you know, I mean, fundamentally, he was sort of saying like, I'm like Al Pacino, you know, Michael Corleone, you realize doesn't really exist. Right. Too short, doesn't really exist. Todd Shaw has got a, a resplendent, tastefully designed, you know, redwood house up in the hills of Piedmont, you know, too short is driving around on the track. And he didn't meet the guy. He didn't meet Shad in his house. He met him right in the neighborhood. It's why you say that about, about Todd Shaw versus Too Short because I'll never forget. I was taking a hip-hop class at Columbia. Columbia Law School enabled you to take electives from the undergrad. And I swindled my way into taking a hip-hop class taught by Michael Eric Dyson, who was a, a visiting professor. Because I was like, you know, when I uh, worked at Volunteer Lawyers for Arts, I didn't really understand rap music the way I should have. So I so so that I, I need to take this course since I plan on being an entertainment attorney to really understand the nature and they're like, oh great, yes, 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 yes. What is that music again? So uh and I got an A. But anyway, so um <laughs> Todd Boyd was a guest professor and he's a guy who's like appeared like in a lot I mean he, his Twitter following is low as well as Instagram. But back in the day this guy used to be on like any kind of documentary about hip hop and black culture. Um, he was on. And so he was visiting, he was a guest speaker in the class and he was talking about the legitimacy and you know, how authentic and rappers, authenticity, 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 authenticity. And I was like, well, Too Short has stated from day one that Too Short is a character that he is portraying. And he's had that dissonance from the get-go. And he was like, yeah, but Too Short, uh, he, he's a nobody, like nobody knows Too Short. Like, Too Short's a platinum selling artist. And he was like, well, no, he's not on. I'm talking about artists on the level of Biggie. I was like, commercially no. speaking, yep. there are not that many artists on the level of Biggie. He's like, well, that's what I was talking about. Too short, he doesn't count. And then literally the <laughs> next class, Eric Dyson, who was quiet during that time, said, yeah, he didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah. you know, he, too short. Like, he was just trying to prove yeah. a point. You know, yeah, it's yeah, all about yeah, authenticity like and being real and keeping it real. I was like, oh, that's bullshit. I even had the Ice Cube when Ice Cube said, when he even said it's a good day back in the day, oh, even before that, sorry, 
We said, unlike he tried to show a distance between trying to be a straight up dude as opposed to pretending to be a pimp. And the fact that he was keeping it real because he was just straight up instead of pretending to be something he wasn't. So again, you know, too short. Yeah, but yeah, but also fiction and reality have a way of of blurring. (laughs) You know, if you, you know, you, you, we talk about Adrian Brody was unapproachable after the pianist for like six months. Dude lost his relationship because he couldn't shake the role. He was like become this depressive, couldn't eat, was having nightmares. So it gets hard to, you know, what, what do you think happens when, when Too Short, not Todd Shaw, rolls up into a club? Because Todd Shaw is sitting in front of a fireplace at his house in the Piedmont Hills, but Too Short rolls up, you know, and this is this is the, the lure of it because he can hide behind this character, but it becomes like, uh, you know, fats in uh, the movie Magic. You know, let Too Short sit there quietly for five minutes and not say anything. I just want to hear from Todd Shaw now. Might be tough to do after a certain mm. point, you know? Well, let's get back on track <laughs> to the to yes. the, to yeah, the we, we 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 digress. You we've we've digressed, but they basically are laying out the Bay Area as an area with sort of multiple personalities. One, it's independent from New York. We don't care what's going on in New York. How can we do this ourselves? So there's this DIY aspect. It's very political. The home of the Black Panthers revolutions in the air and the hippies and all that plus a, a lot of tolerance and then pimp culture like you know too short moved there uh 1980 when he's when he's a kid and it looked like what he had seen in black exploitation movies and he just he just it's like the movies he's been watching like the mac come to life and and he assumes this persona as a rapper and he's one of the first rappers in town he meets uh freddie b that's his partner until freddie b gets busted and goes to jail but it seems like they emphasize two things about too short one is the pimp persona and how that comes out of the pimp culture which i've always had a problem with the term pimp culture since it's i guess it is a thing but it's such a loathsome conduct and anyway, but it, 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 it is it is in general. I, I actually have a friend who was a pimp for a period of time, and he described it as the worst job ever. Mm. Uh, he was more like a, like a den mother to a bunch of uh, women that didn't really have their shit together. He's making their doctor's appointments, you know, making sure their rent got paid, their phone bills, their cell phones. He's just a lot of work. <laughs> he he he. he, he <laughs> He said, indeed, pimping is not easy. <laughs> you know, that made the most sense, Eugene, in terms of the whole pimp lifestyle, right? Because prior yeah. to that, you think about like, why is this level of control? And why is there this violence? Why are there this, this? And we talk about like literally having to do everything for a whole bunch of people who are clamoring for your attention. And stopping fights in the house. Oh, yeah, the house. And they were all living in the house. And- I mean, it wasn't based on his infrequent sex with any one of the women that he wanted to. Uh, it wasn't like in the movies where he was doing a lot of slapping people around and stuff like that. But, you know, he could have been the, the pimp with the heart of gold. And it should be said, he is no longer a pimp. Hmm. So he was driven out of the profession by the... <laughs> the I can't take a shit anymore! <laughs> I can't, exactly right. Exactly right. Anyway. Yes. So, but they, they emphasize the, 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 the pimp character thing and they do talk they emphasize that it's a character and it's a persona that he's playing but mostly they're pushing the diy thing and that's mm-hmm. pretty interesting and, and compelling you know freddie b's talking about how they just made a tape at home and you know freddie b's like we can sell this and two shorts like what and then you know where who are we gonna sell this to and they go to some kids who are selling pot down the street and put it in somebody's 
car system and boom, you know, five dollars. And and pretty soon they got, you know, they're selling it going platinum out of the trunk, is what they say. Well he start he started mentioning people from the neighborhood. Which yeah, I yeah. Was, uh, after, for twenty after bucks, genius. they'll make yeah. you a tape, uh, mention yeah. your name and, and the color of your car and everything else. And and you know, I thought the key quote from the episode was Daniel Smith saying there was nobody in Oakland that was black that didn't have one of two Schwartz homemade tapes and didn't have a story about him selling them out of his trunk at the quick way yeah. down by the lake, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And then the other one was Richie Rich, the the MC, saying they were just super raunchy, and that's what made you want that tape because you knew you didn't have no business having it. And so to me, that's like the tradition of Red Fox and then all these other, yeah. you know, Pigmeat Markham and all these other African-American performers who've sold comedy tapes under the table and raunchy music tapes. So, you know, two shorts in there. But and again, like, you know, the only thing I thought they left out was that they didn't emphasize just how big this guy was. I mean, he had six yeah. straight platinum albums yeah. and he was still selling platinum in like 95, 96. Plus, he did duets uh, with Tupac, Jay-Z. Biggie, Jay-Z. and Jay-Z. Z. He's the only person that ever did with all three of those guys. So, you know, it's notable that two short summary, I think they could easily have skipped, but because he's kind of founder of the Bay Area hip hop scene, they covered and, and they wanted to get that DIY thing because that's going to be a theme that they, they talk about over and over again, all the entrepreneurs in hip hop. But, um, it's cool that they gave Too Short this much attention, but again, I think they could have given him Nate Todd Boyd. <laughs> exactly. Well, because well, I mean, they did talk about Paris. They did talk about Digital Underground, right? So they. But Hammer sold his things too better. out of a trunk too. That's the th- that yeah, would, that's exactly. what I find interesting. You're jumping my what they left out about Hammer. We'll get we'll get to that in a moment, but but the. They they seem to want to have each one of these artists identified with one aspect mm. of San Francisco. So two shorts as is with two actually the DIY thing, and the pimp. He's also Oakland, right? Yeah. So San Francisco. We haven't really talked about San Francisco hip hop because all these cats are from Oakland, right? Or so we say or whatever. Yeah. yeah, we say, yeah, but we say Bay Area like we're giving San Francisco San Francisco some shine like it deserves any shine at all. No, no, no. Yeah, it's it's primarily Oakland, but because, you know, we got Vallejo and other areas. But then they segue to MC Hammer, and he epitomizes dance culture, the the, the Oakland area dance culture. And they talk about, um, you know, that he came up watching basically the Black Panthers dance troupe and performing. But the thing they left out, or one of the things they left out, as Alexi mentioned, they left out how he started selling stuff out of his trunk. But they also left out the fact that he was a ball boy for the Oakland A's. Yeah. Oakland this is where he got the name from. Yeah, yeah financed uh, his start, you know. And they made, leave out the whole, you know, he was doing Christian contemporary music also, but that didn't yeah. take off. So they, yeah. you know, this kid is, uh, uh, you know, they talk about how he's G-rated and the little kid's like Hammer, but they don't mention he's a jock and a Christian too. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the thing about Hammer too that they totally skipped over is that Hammer – they went to straight. They almost went straight to you can't touch us. I know they they were talking about uh, let's get us started, but that first album when they said oh no one was respecting him, people were feeling hammer with that first album. Turn yep. this mother out and let's get us started. Yep. People were feeling. People were quoting his 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 rhymes, yeah. all that shit. It was when he did the. You can't touch this. Where he got corny and he became a sellout. Yeah, he but before that, it was, that, they totally like yeah. shot over the fact that yeah, yeah, people yeah. people didn't think he was the greatest lyricist. But it wasn't like, oh, who's this bum who can just dance? That's not how he was viewed. 
No, no. By the time he got to You Can't Touch Us, he had already jumped the shark, right? So he was already done. But I was bouncing in this club in San Jose, and his dancers, uh, the 357 girls, and some of his dancers would roll in once every couple of weeks. And it was, and occasionally he'd be with them. And I still see him like at the gun range. I'll look over at the next bay and there's, there's hammer at this point. Now I can say hello because he's also at all the Aussie parties for mm. some reason. I look up at the Aussie Christmas party and <laughs> says hammer. I, Hey, well, it, it, of course he's in the MMA. So we start talking about MMA and then, but he, uh, those dances would roll in. It was completely electric, man. It was yep. really, and he, he ran it. Um, like you say, the jock history, it, apparently he ran it like like a military camp. Mm-hmm. Like if you didn't, mm-hmm. couldn't be there. If you were late, you were gone. You're paid like James Brown style. You were docked. No, nah, there was no no half stepping with his crew. I mean, of course, you know they don't also talk about the the Incredible Fall, right. which had everything to do with him trying to be gangster, which was embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, they totally leave out that. I felt like they went out of their way to be as positive about Hammer yeah, as which is fine. Possible. Yeah, fine. it's totally fine. Um, He's a nice guy. Would, yeah, uh, you know. yeah, but they did leave out the, the, the massive bankruptcy and 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 the, the the Christian contemporary music he was trying to make. Uh, and that, I felt like that they did cover his early material and talk about how it was legit. But even then, they had to they had to say, "Oh, it was club music." You know, it was, this was dance and party music. And they're just really trying to just not. They're trying to avoid coming out and saying, "Dude can't rap." It's basically what they're doing. But they don't go after him on the thing that people really hated him about. And Rick James sued him over, which was just biting whole hooks. Yep. You know, like like the ethos before that had been sample little pieces and make something new out of it. And he's just sampling the whole hook. And, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, so it's more of a cover song than, than um, you know, a sample. And, you know, Vanilla Ice came out right around the same yep. time. And there's no mention yeah. of Vanilla Ice in this series whatsoever. That was and, <laughs> yeah. and he could dance too, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know. And he, and, he, and he stole songs wholesale. <laughs> Under pressure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but the difference is they do dun 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 and then we do dun 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 Yeah, yeah, come on. That's like Pharrell trying to say that that Robin Thicke thing was not Yeah, that was great. Yeah. No, it's a totally different song. Marvin Gaye's song is totally different. Yeah, man. We had Samson asked him and he said yes, it's different. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a tangent we could get into because it, it has a totally different melody and chorus. I know. I, remember, I knew that he was pushing once. I remember yeah. when we talked about it on our show a year or so ago. You're like, that's yeah. different. <laughs> anyway, so anything else we want to cover about Hammer? We we've talked too much about Hammer. Yeah, yeah. So let's get to E40 because he's really interesting. He's somebody I had paid no mind to. I think I heard about him. Everybody's got choices, man. In in the '90s, but but. But then I wasn't following stuff, and I remember. I'm gonna do a co- I'm gonna do a cover of that song, and reverse it. Is it call yourself a winner? And then he says, of course, yes. I'm gonna go, nope. And so everywhere he says nope, I'm gonna say yeah, and you know. So reverse the whole thing. But so E40 yeah. is interesting because he's more of a technical virtuoso uh, with a, and a total stylistic innovator, and somebody who's super influential. Uh, on southern hip hop, which is going to be a big theme of the next, more like the third or fourth season of, of hip hop evolution than this one, but they've they fixated on they got the flow, the eccentricity of his flow in there, but then they fixate on his slang, and let him claim it's all good and you feel me, which I don't know. You think 
he really has a case to make that he coined. It's all good. And you feel me? Oh, I guess you can feel uh, me. Hold, hold on. I, 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 no, I, <laughs> sorry, my, my, my phone is doing strange things. Uh-huh. There we go. All right. Sorry. Yeah, that's all uh, right. Um, I, well, I don't know. Why not? Give it to him. Why, why, why would I quibble over that? Yeah, but I mean, it, he's he's got a good claim on popping my collar and the whole fascisti stuff, that whole rhyming slang. He was one of the first yeah. people to put that on tape. So, uh, you know, that was interesting. That, this is where I'm starting to really dig the series, though, because people like E-40 is not somebody I would have thought to put on my list. But I'm not making no pretension to be an any you know a hip hop head in any serious way but but I really well, I, also, I also I also like the fact that that he was one of those guys who was like his story is a story about indefatigability yep. because he came out with one record nothing yep. two records not three most of us we try something three times it doesn't work out we're like done then some people like Oxbow we just keep going he's like Oxbow just kept going and finally hit with the fourth record it took us seven or eight but whatever he got the fourth Big time, and that was cool. I like that. He seems a little more bitter than the rest of them, though, in terms of, of <laughs> all the people that they've had in the show so far. In you know, the two seasons so far, he just seemed the, the most talk about inf- in, infatigable. He was totally, uh, and I did that, yeah. You know, it was like, okay, calm the fuck down, man. Shit, yeah, yeah. like he just like he just well, seemed a little look, too, he... little too, uh, 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 uh just uh amped up about like his contributions not being uh respected and just come on man you put out four records that just that 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 <laughs> but even yeah. that's a little misleading because those are all indie records and and the record that they were talking about his breakthrough was his first major label and it went platinum i mean it's like you know it, it's not like he was yeah but you know, you know, the, you know the way he's thinking you can't live off of indie records so right no, dude no. struggling and, up, was, through, up through then so he admits that he was ahead of his time and he had a totally good throw. He said like this, like he's so humble. He just, he admits. Well, well, I mean, he's like, I knew it would take people some time to catch uh, catch up with me, you know? And his style is totally eccentric. Although you can hear echoes of it all over the place now. But, you know, uh, but the, the other thing, the thing they leave out is the whole hyphy scene, which is which is a you know late nineties thing that yep. came right out of him. That's that's his spawn, and so I thought that was kind of interesting choice. Well, they talked about it. They should go into it because it would have been a whole, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I guess it would have. I don't know the way they're doing the time stuff on this is still uh, sort of confusing. I mean, I think that the regional theme gives it a structure, and it's perfectly satisfying to watch but when you think about we still haven't gotten to the whole native tongues movement you know and and, and we haven't talked about krs1 and all, all this yeah. stuff and so so the fact that we're talking about e40 and we still haven't talked about krs1 is a little weird but i'm imagining they'll start bouncing back to new york eventually right oh yeah they're, they're going to be back in new york i think the next episode as a matter yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but that's what so, makes it hard though because i think for e40 e40 is someone i only knew the only E40 song I knew was because of the go-go cover of it, Sprinkle, like by the Hucklebucks. So, you know, so that's, so, uh, so he's one of these guys that, you know, I knew of E40. I knew of him. His style was just too weird for me. And I found him annoying at the time. Right. Um, and but, you still do. And I still do. It's true. But, but I couldn't say like, no, why was I, you know, cause a lot of times when stuff is done historically, you talk about a whole scene, you can say like, oh yeah, at that time I wasn't listening to A, I was listening to B or C, or that's why I wasn't feeling him. But like you said, because it's, 
it's just on a region as opposed to a time frame. I would have to look back and see, okay, now when did that album come out and when did that hit and what was I listening to at that time? It's And I know that's intentional because if that's the case, it's hard to criticize and judge when it's all over the place as opposed to like, no, 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 they're missing out on this which happened that summer or that wasn't as big of a hit, so-and-so was, you know? So strategically, well, there's, no there's way, a value there's, to that. There's no way that you could do this with rock and roll, even even a very specific type of rock and roll. It's just you know trying to encapsulate anything outside of the fact that predominantly brown people made this music. It's you can't. How are you going to do it? You can't really. So yeah, I mean, I think the regionalism gives them a good excuse to not be stuck with a chronological telling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because yeah. unless you were doing it like you know month by month or year by year, you know, breakdown of of what happened. It's really hard to tell the story that way, and so so this way they can hop around from place to place and jump in and out. And but tell even the if they did, the, so, but even if they did the thing quickly that they do on some documentaries, is when they show you a chart and you get to see like at that time who was on the chart at the same time, right? Like, and when you see those kind of yeah, documentaries, like, nice, yeah. oh yeah, that song, oh that's right, like so something like that visually would be nice, but whatever. I didn't do the shit. Yeah. I'm just talking about that <laughs> shit. <laughs> but I don't know. All in all. Uh, I feel like this the series is still going well and and totally entertaining and informative and it's weird like for an episode that spends this much time on mc hammer i didn't find myself resenting it at all i guess part of it is just it's been so long since we've had you can't touch this ram down our throat you know Actually, also, and, i think you you were waiting for him them to get to the kind of the, the bankruptcy thing yeah i think i didn't do enough on I, mc hammer i was waiting for i was like eh, eh, and it did happen i was like ah it's okay especially yeah. for the second half that we're going to go into you know the next episode you know it, again just so random just and again just the region i get it that's what they're focusing on but if you think about the impact that someone like mc hammer had uh, and then also just the length. But then again, we've heard that story before. There have been, been tons of documentaries and fictionalized movies on it. So I guess they're not breaking any new ground or whatever. Or he wouldn't give you know, him an interview. <laughs> you know, the last commercial thing I saw him do, I was in a hardware store and 3M, the sticky tape people uh. have these hooks that you can hang up in your closet. You know, sticky, take the sticky uh -huh. back off, and, you know, and it was Those like things. He hammers on on the package, and he's like smiling, holding up, and I was like, "Good for you, bro. Good for you. Well, make that they money." Do, they do talk about that. We should mention that that they they talk about how you know at the time he was knocked for being a sellout for the soda deals and and the sponsorships Whatever, and everything, and but at this point that has become completely. Every artist from Iggy Pop, no matter how much indie cred you've got, you know, uh, you know everybody. Nick Drake gets famous off of vocal. You know like, why? It's because I mean, of people people who dug your shit when they were kids grow up and get into positions of power, and they make weird stuff happen. Mm -hmm. Like the guys, there's that band Turbo Negro, which is not hip hop music at all, and they find themselves now one of their biggest fans is like the, uh, vice president of development at Levi's. So all that phase they were going through when they were wearing the de denim jackets, the jeans, and the hats, they had like $200,000 from Levi's to wear that stuff. Mm. So $200,000 and they gave you clothes. It, I, you don't have to sing a note. So it's uh, strange things happen, man. Strange yeah, things happen. It's just the whole ethos of, you know, there's no, there's no more stigma of selling out to the corporate man. I mean, well, people but, are looking know, to get exposure and looking to get money. But I mean, the case with Hammer was jarring because what does he have to do with little sticky hooks? The reality of it is, though, it's less, it's less, it, it's less about 
the artist going to be, you know, go, do, making this journey and more about the brands coming to the artist, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. so it's not like, it's not like, uh, it's not like uh, an embarrassing thing that you, when you, you know, no, hold on. It's not like Joe Lewis, the heavyweight champ selling mints in the future. Right. Sorry. <laughs> What's a show without that? <laughs> hey, uh, so right. Well, that's our half of the show. We'll be back next time with the rest of the show. This episode, which features Paris, Digital Underground, and Tupac Shakur. Here's two shorts, cuss words. So you motherfuckers thought I was going to change my style. So what are you saying, Todd? Saying, Todd? To all you bitches, hoes, and all that shit. Here's another rap that I'm ready to spit. It goes like this. My name is short. I'm tearing shit up like never before. Pimp slaps, making snaps. Cold cash money and two short raps. Oakland, California, that's where I'm from. The city where the boys say you don't want nothing. But if you do... And now a word from our sponsors. And here's the Digital Underground's Do What You Like. What you like, with what you like. And though we're usually on a serious tip, check it out. Tonight we're going to flip and trip and let it all hang out. And we're continuing our discussion of Hip Hop Evolution Season 2, Episode 2, Out the Trunk, The Bay, which is like plenty of semicolons for uh, colons. Is it colon, semicolon, whatever. Anyway, colon. we already talked about Too Short, MC Hammer, and E-40. Now we're going to continue the discussion with the political wing of the Bay Area hip-hop crews, Paris, Digital Underground, and Tupac Shakur. So, first up, what did you think about the way they did the segue from the party guys into the political guys? I mean, you, you kind of mentioned it on the last version of it, and I think that um, when you talk about how many records Too Short has sold, that puts it in perspective. I was owning a record store around this period and uh, I couldn't keep too short in stock. Mm. Um, uh, but I still have my Paris cassettes because I used to sell cassettes. I still have them here in my garage because I wasn't able to sell them. So um, I think people like the idea uh, because of Fred Hampton, because of Bobby Seale, because of Huey Newton. They like the historical significance of of you know kind of black power a black political movement it was a, it was a convenient nail upon which to hang something and like paris said you know they hung that on him it wasn't like he chose it himself but um um the black it was hip -hop the, the black panther of hip-hop uh yeah cognomen so but it you know it was a, it was a good take it, and, and it allowed people to to a certain degree work in an avenue where they didn't have to deny their intelligence where like like Paris didn't have to act like he went to UC Davis, which is a very hard school to get into. And he's a really bright guy where he could kind of, you know, ensconce himself in the political wing and hold some cachet, but it wasn't widely popular, you know? Um, I mean, maybe in the same way that the dead Kennedys were never wildly popular in the scheme of things. Right. Well, it's funny because yeah. with, with Paris, 
I actually owned a Paris cassette, whereas for a lot of the people that they have, I mean, for me to, and my cheap ass to actually buy something, you know, just, it had to be amazing. Like there are a lot of groups that throughout the history of hip hop and depending on how popular they were, you know, I could, I knew the songs and listened on to the radio or someone make a bootleg tape, but to actually purchase something for me was just few and far between. And I did, I did lean more heavily towards the conscious and political rap. So I did have, I never owned any Too Short, um, uh, but I did own Paris. But Eugene's right. It was but one then, of these but, things but, where it wasn't really, it was not widespread. It wasn't like- but a, Which Paris did you have? The first uh, one? The Devil Made Me second. Do It. Yep, Devil Made Me Do It. Made me and, do it. And the thing is, you know, he was in the minority in the Bay. You know, I was shocked that they, they left out Rappin' Forte, uh, who had the big hit with the Players Club. Um, so there were a lot of guys on that party scene, party tip, who are of some sort of significance. But there was like one Paris and to try to kind of sell Digital Underground like they were somehow conscious or even Tupac is, is you know, you're, you're trying to you're trying to create a cloth there that doesn't necessarily that wasn't necessarily created. You know, Tupac started as a dancer, you know, his mother happened to be, you know, affiliated with those cats. And realistically, he's smart enough to know by the time he came of age, a lot of those cats were jive, you know. I mean, uh, I remember reading Soul on Ice when Eldridge Cleaver gets to the famous section about, you know, about rape and about, you know, kind of trying to justify rape as a, as a, as a political tool. I'm like, oh, whoa, hey, whoa. And these guys, you know, I mean... Take the street out of the guy. Can't take the guy out of the, take the guy out of the street. Can't take the street out of the guy. So, um, and of course, this was mirrored in some of the Tupac's things. I mean, he got swept up in this, you know. After all, you know, keep your head up. And then he got swept up in some. Wasn't it? Uh, like in a round was first. It was like, yeah, I, I, keep your head yeah. up. Because that's what I thought was the betrayal. You have this guy who yeah. he, like Eugene says, he's he's just seen as like an entertainer with Digital Underground. And then he did. Uh, Brenda's got a baby, and he had his conscious stuff and then he does i get around and i remember the time in terms of reconciling i couldn't i was like wait a second and he also got popped for some gang gang sex scene yes so what like happened is mystical yes. did yeah. so yeah so it was on some girl on the dance floor then uh went back to his place and it was a gang rape which is weird because you know if you listen to i get around he talks i don't want it if that's if it's that easy you know there's all you know and so it's, it's it's a lot of weird stuff with it but still it's just like eugene said i just think that there's a lot of revisionist history when it comes to uh tupac and in terms of like how conscious he was I mean, just for a sliver of his career he had a certain conscious moment and very quickly commercially as soon as he was able to to discard that he did you know but people still held on to it because as onion wrote in the av club in a retrospective of his death you know the fact of the matter is he was a handsome charismatic theater kid who did rap and yep. if he wasn't cute if he didn't have that kind of appeal like no one he wouldn't have blown up the way he did and if he didn't die young uh he wouldn't have had the whole rep that i don't even know kids nowadays probably don't know who the fuck tupac is you know like, and, and, I, and I was always irked with him because he kept he was he was like he had become one of those always something guys. Yep. And I I was like, man, if you're a black multimillionaire, you need to keep your ass up out yep. of the streets. You know, I mean, you know, despite all the stuff that he raps about, never hear too short mentioned. Never get him picked up in any gang rape, get fighting with the cops yep. at stops and the guns in the airport and hanging out with Suge Knight. Nope. 
you know. Well, that's he's why he's been beat Danny Kane. Like, on his toes. I remember what he would say. His whole thing was, I remember when there was that, when things were veering towards gangster rap, he's like, look, he's like, all the gangsters I know are in dead or in prison. You know, yep. so yep. and it was just this, this, this line about, yes, yeah, you used to rap out certain things and aspirational and talk shit. But there's a certain line that a lot of the old school guys did not cross. And so you yeah. saw Tupac regularly doing it. And also to me, like coming across like a, 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 a like a pretty boy thug, you know, like he'd yeah. have to yeah. he'd have to make sure this bandana was tied in a certain way. And he looked at, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just too pretentious and full of shit as opposed to thugs mm-hmm. who just did straight up. I don't give a fuck what I look. I'm walking right out of my bed and my drawers. Uh, what, yeah. And what? Yep. 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 <laughs> A lot of hate for Tupac here. So, but let's stick to Paris. I, one thing uh, about Paris, going back and listening to him, and I haven't listened to Paris since I had that Devil Made Me Do It album way back in the day. I really dug Paris. I mean, this is yep. exactly my sweet spot. It's the, it's it's that golden age of hip hop with a rock, a lot of rock elements, a mm-hmm. lot of rock samples, heavy bass sounds, guitar samples, and everything. My thing with Paris was that second album he just went way over the line with the threatening to kill the you know acting as if he's killing the president songs about killing the president pictures of him stalking the president with a gun and the album sleeve <laughs> and they totally you know and what uh, they left out of this segment was the whole debacle with tommy boy and yeah. warner brothers and and him getting dropped from the label for egregious nonsense that somebody who went to uc davis should know better than to do yeah I mean, but he was but he the, his thing was I, I remember at the time right the stance that he took i really got behind because his position was look unlike ice t i'm not pulling a song off my fucking record i'm not changing shit this is what i'm doing i meant what i said when i said it and if you don't like it then fuck you and so like just there's a legitimacy right not necessarily like you know buying everything he said it's like man this motherfucker like he's not playing and he was welcoming he was like i'm not like ice tea i'm not like these other people who say something and as soon as the spotlight gets on them runs away i want the spotlight if if they're running away come to me and to a certain degree it was just so rare it's kind of like eugene a precursor to what eugene you've been saying for a while was like yeah i did it so what like you just you just never saw that so i mean you saw what happened except that he immediately fucked up some business stuff with his own label so the record didn't get distributed and then by the time he does his fourth album he's trying to jump onto the gangster train like in 1996 and just totally making a clown out of himself doing all the stuff he said he would not do in so far as you know, sold out, you sold out. No, no, no. He t- he, his, his career was terribly mismanaged, it, which is, again, once again, if you look at somebody like Too Short, nobody. Yep. Like somebody, somebody, somebody said about U2, if you had said that U2, if you had said in 1982 that U2 would be huge 20 years later, everybody would have laughed. You know, everybody? He goes, yeah, the guys in Big Country, the guys in Simple Minds, <laughs> the guys in Thompson Twins. And the yeah. I think it was anybody who saw U2 on their first tour when they had to play I Will Follow four times to get through a set because yeah. they literally – that was you know they didn't have seven songs yeah, that they yeah. could play. But let's – I stick, mean no, no, nobody, nobody sure saw Too Short having a 20-year-plus no, career. No, but I mean, Too Short me? like had, had a niche and he hammered it and there was really no artistic growth in the Too Short arc. I mean he perfected his character. Watch out the short jokes. And, and he, he he played with the beats a little bit, but you know, AC, there was no the ACDC of hip hop, man. 
Yeah, I mean, nobody was looking at what Michael Short going to do next. Whereas Paris was somebody when that first record came out that I was thinking this was the logical follow up to Public Enemy. And, you know, this guy's got this incredibly deep baritone voice and he's so smart and he's political. But I knew as soon as I saw that second record and the picture of him and holding a gun next to the president, I was like, this isn't going to fly, yeah. man. I mean, it's just, it was yelling fire in a crowded theater. I mean, hey, man, yeah. I, I don't know about that. He should, he should lean down. This is, I'm exercising my First Amendment right. The reality of it is, name an artist who's got eight good records. They're not many, man. They're really no, not many. There are many, but I mean, Paris could have had three good records, <laughs> you know? In the 2000s, he did some cool stuff. He worked with Public Enemy, and he was actually the the the. How many good re- How many good records of Public Enemy? Oh, Public don't. Enemy had three great records. Yeah. Albums all the way through. Which what? one? I've been quoted as saying that the Rolling Stones have you know, ten, ten, ten. Don't stop me! Don't stop me! The Rolling oh. Stones have ten good songs. That's it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They had five great albums in a row. That's the thing with the Rolling Stones. So that's ten the, good ten, ten good songs total. Yeah, they had a lot more than that. But that's that's either here or there. Let's let's focus on our topic. So with Paris, I mean the thing they left out was the total self-immolation of his career and then the embarrassing late jump on the gangster thing. And but then, he didn't do anything that, that Hammer hadn't done. I mean, those guys both went down with the same kind of shit, I mean, you know? Hammer, Hammer went down in flames in an embarrassing way. Just, But, I mean, pumps Hammer was up, like, oh, pumps it up, oh, Saturday Night Fever Bee Gees. I mean, he just got so big that anything he did was going to be embarrassing. And he really couldn't rap that well. And he didn't have, you know, his, his, his gimmick was he was a great dancer and a great stage performer. And he brought that to hip hop, but there was no act two with hammer ever. There was no hammer still be. as much as Daniel Smith, like proving why I always found her annoying. Like all that, Oh, that the line that he had, it was so poetry of Tupac hammer smoke that line. You can't hmm. beat me. Say yes to the master and I will teach thee. Like that, <laughs> that, and turn this mother out. That smokes. That smokes any two. All right, all right. So, any final <laughs> thoughts on Paris before we move on? I was glad to see him do what he did at the time, at the cost of his career, which was very obvious. I think you're right. At the time, it was very obvious that he was that that was going to be it for him. But it was fascinating to watch at the time, and I, I have not, I have not seen it since. I also, I also, I have a soft spot in my heart for Tunisian fruit vendors. You know. Those guys who wake up that day and say, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to destroy the world. (laughs) (laughs) Set myself on fire and start their spring. Yeah. Yeah. So now we segue to Digital Underground. And like you say, it is a bit of putting a square peg into a round hole to try to make Digital Underground political. Because Shark G even says it. You know, the thing I liked about P-Funk was that they were dancing their way out of the problems. They were not Mm. explicitly political. Um, but I thought that otherwise they did a pretty good job of summarizing, you know, digital underground and, and did not get totally sucked into Humpty, you know, I mean, that's the thing about Humpty Hump. And they did even bring this up that Humpty Hump swallowed their career. Yep. Like I remember when Do Watch the Light came out and I saw that on BET and I mean, I was over the moon. I thought yep. that was the greatest song of all yep. time. I was super excited about it. I was there next week cause I couldn't get the 12 inch. So the album wasn't out yet. You know, I was dying to see that video again and super pumped telling everybody I knew about him. And then Humpty Dance comes out and I was just like, well, it's fun. Like, 
every stupid kid I knew in college was dancing to it. And then like within six weeks, you know, yeah, it was just embarrassing. That, but, but see, the thing, the problem is that that was music that was really good to enjoy if you were really, really high. So if you were really, really high, you were not really, you know, it's like, ah, it's all right. I was as high as I could get every chance I could get. I mean, okay, I so was drug free. They're I was straight not- edge and not knowing just the fact that I was, you know, a square, you know, I, I didn't know about the movement. I just looked back at my life and said, fuck, okay, no drugs, no sex, no al- I was straight edge. What the fuck? <laughs> I had no clue. That's what I was saying. You weren't guilty of being I, white. That was the, the I, I, missing I, link. I, no, I no, I, t- I tell you, th- I actually used that line. I, I built a whole philosophical thing off of that line from the song and actually used it to break up with people when that do what you like. Yeah. And I, I was like, <laughs> you know, you should be free to go be you separate from me <laughs> and i built this whole life philosophy why should i prevent you from seeking your fortune in the field of men go out and find one who likes you and likes to argue eh, you know so it, it actually was pretty instrumental for me as an escape route yes. and the one the other thing that i think they did a good job of getting into with digital underground was that they brought the p-funk samples in mm-hmm. and although they they <clears throat> I only talk about P-Funk in the context of the later 70s P-Funk, the more synthesizer, you know, sound. I mean, there's two eras of P-Funk, basically. There's the early 70s rock and roll, heavy guitar, Eddie the Hazel. A- the P-funk. acid years. Yeah. And then there's the Mothership Connection years when there's, you know, more keyboards and, and just a totally different sound. And Digital Underground was one of the first groups that starts sort of moves the clock forward on what era are we sampling from? Like, you know, uh, everybody up to that point had been sampling a lot of late 60s, early 70s, James Brown and that era, early 70s. But but they moved it forward into the late 70s. And then Dr. Dre, of course, ran with that massively on the, on the chronic. But, um, you know, the other thing with Digital Underground, though, is just overwhelmingly Humpty Hump overshadowed, overshadowed mm-hmm. completely. And then Tupac overshadowed him. You know, yep. They bring Tupac in yep, yep. and 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 overshadow him. And, and, you know, a career does not get two shots. And then they weren't quite native tongues and they weren't quite gangster. They weren't gangster at all. So they just kind of got lost Didn't there. Didn't Shock actually have a drug problem? I thought he had a, um, that got in the way... He, he quite possibly could have. It seems like every rock star ever that, that well that also spiders, there's a there's a drug problem in there. Yeah, them being in the Bay Area, I, I you know I would hear, hear dribbles and drabs because Michael Franti was in the Beatniks mm. and he was connected to I think Shock G's brother, you know. So and I would hear dribbles and drabs. I mean, they just got caught up in the vicissitudes of of being famous and not need to realize it. Once you get on that train, it's got to be an extra express train. No stops for friends who are not making it, you know, hold out for the better looking women. Do not get them pregnant. You know, the whole. Yeah. Yeah. The whole you can't thing. just do what you like. <laughs> Apparently. No, no, no. But um, and so now we get to Tupac, which you guys already jumped on. But like I thought the key quote from Richie Rich in this was when I first met him, he was just a regular cool dude. Wasn't no gangster to him. And that to me was the thing with Tupac was he was a middle class educated kid who was not from the hood. Theater kid. He went to the Baltimore playing. School for the Arts. That's where he met yeah. Jada Pinkett. Mm-hmm. And and, isn't that and, where Dave Dave Chappelle went? No, he went to Duke Ellington, where I went for a year yeah. in oh, DC. Okay. Maybe. Right. See, but so 
I always felt like Tupac was kind of forcing that. And, and I remember hearing Tupac on with digital underground and being impressed with this flow. I, I remember the first time I heard that song and think, wow, this kid can rap. Who's this? You know, cause, cause that was one of those groups that had a whole posse and I only knew who Shock G and, and, and Humpty Hump were. I didn't know anybody else, you know? And then Tupac's the first guy. I'm like, who's this? But then you were feeling that- money B. Drain and entertainment. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a big money B guy myself. I was, <laughs> just gonna, I was just gonna say that. I, I was just gonna B, say but, that. I mean, he was like Ringo, or you know, oh, I mean, he was like no, no, no. If he, if he and Fife Dog put a record out together, that would have been. Oh my god! <laughs> I don't think you can compare him to Fife Dog, man. I mean, not. I'm not just a, saying, if you, the two of those guys did a record together, it could have been. Man, I don't know. It might have been, been great. too similar, but. But I mean, no, he was solid. He was a solid second guy. But I don't know. I felt like Shock G was way out in front of the rest of that crew. No, no, he was. He was. I'm just saying. But you know, there's enough love for him. Oh well. No, I, I think I think I'm continually irked with Tupac because I don't think he should be dead. You know. Uh, yeah, that's the whole thing. Again, that's the whole thing. And I, and I feel like he made a series of decisions that got himself in that spot. Yeah. And at a certain point, there was a momentum that couldn't be stopped. Like he couldn't stop the whole East West feud. He he didn't bring Shug Knight to the scene. He couldn't stop Shug Knight, but he played right into his hands. And 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 he's a just, volume guy. What I from what I heard is the fact that in terms of music, he was all about just output as opposed to quality. And like he and Dr. Dre like didn't get it. he fucking hated Dre because he didn't like having to take his time and being precise. He was like, I'm just put this out, this out, blah, blah, blah. you know, it's just like Yeah, yeah. I, I think that then they did mention this. That was a good quote about Tupac that he was one of those artists that had to express himself and 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 just had to get it out there. And 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 that that was consistent. But the thing that they left out entirely just from this era, obviously we're gonna talk about Tupac again in hip hop evolution and we assume that they will. But do you remember the whole scandal where the kid in Texas killed a cop with the Tupacalypse cassette in his yeah. car? Yeah, I remember. And it that. was it was as big in Texas as like the Judas Priest backward masking suicide trial. I mean, that was the second time I heard about Tupac. And that's why I went out and bought two Tupacalypse. <laughs> Let me hear what he was. But he was <laughs> and 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 I thought the album was uneven. The production on it was pretty weak, um, but. And yeah, I have to, but, but I mean, that was a big part of the story, and they just totally left it out. I mean, Dan Quayle comes out, the vice president came out and trashed Tupac, you know, and then they didn't mention that at all. Um, but I don't know. Do you think they needed to fit that in there? Or yes, is that they were Canadians. Yes. Yeah. And also, <laughs> that's like one of the most I'm... Canadian things they can do. Like you leave out the big, like Dan Quayle presidential thing, man. And I'm, pl- you know, I'm a Brooklyn kid, you know, so if if I have to choose between Quake and Quisp. I'm gonna choose Biggie here. I don't. I don't want to keep this thing going. But even though you it, went to college on the West Coast, oh man, hey, my formative years. In the West Coast. Formative years spent in Crown Heights, Flatbush, Cobble right. Hill. You know, I. Uh-huh. Nah, nah, nah. You haven't lived there in forty years. That's true, uh, but I'm in telling the West you, Coast the whole time. I, I could direct you to streets right now in a drunken state. I can't do that with California. Well, one thing too is in terms of how long you've been in a place and where uh, where folks are from. My father left Jamaica when he was 19 years old to come to Howard University, right? And he wasn't one of those. As I tell you, he wasn't one of these Jamaicans that meant to stay here. Like, like, fuck this Yankee place, going back home. My mother dragged him back. But um, can you speak patois? Well, Jamaican English. Well, the thing he says, the thing that messes you up is 
you can't keep up with current stuff, right? So yeah, right. his, but he said that even though he left Jamaica at 19, he still does not understand Americans, right? So I'm just saying in terms of your thing, you does, think, he, right? does, he have, does he have an accent? No, he does. Yeah, he never lost it because there was some yeah. cute girl that was like, oh, your accent's so cute, never lose it. You know, yeah. whereas years later, he, he, he wouldn't tell me that. He's like, oh, I never lost my accent like these other Jamaicans. But little did I know. So he's like, like David you know, Bowie, I'm Afraid of Americans. What did like, you say? Great, great he's song. like David Bowie, that song, I'm Afraid yeah, of no, Americans. Yeah, no, he says just like, when he thinks he understands Americans, he doesn't. They're just stuff that just doesn't make sense to him. And I think it goes to, um, you know, just, uh, I think just certain power dynamics anyway, but anyway. Yeah. Okay. So final thoughts on the episode as a whole. Eugene. Okay. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, especially since I have been here since 1980. So, uh, somewhat, I mean, and being involved in music since 1980, I often thought it was interesting. The peripheral characters that didn't get mentioned, like Rap and Forte, and there were a couple of uh, Whipping Boy played a couple of shows with some of the early hip hop guys that were connected to kind of like too short, the, like just these cats who didn't make it. And I remember thinking, man, I can see what these guys are going for, but they're just not. So there are a lot of stories like that in the Bay Area. But um, you know, but again, if you had, my God, if you told me that Too Short was going to be an Architectural Digest, because it was, I just it's it's been a surprise. It's been a surprising journey being here in the Bay Area, and I was glad to see them register that somehow it was sort of significant. It, again, beyond even just Tupac. So yeah, I liked it. Yeah, Too Short. Could I go ahead, Alexi? No, I was going to say that I liked it. Um, yeah, I thought it's interesting the fact that he. They go with a region, an area, um, but it it really did. And it, uh, I looked at the Tupac thing the other day, and it made a little more sense the way that they organized this episode. But still, there's that frustration of treating everybody like they're equals, and they have they're on the same kind of level in terms of influence, in terms of impact, mm. and it's just not the case. So I felt good seeing Paris because I remember like, you know, I had the Paris thing, but to have them in the same conversation as a digital underground or as an MC Hammer or Tupac, I mean, it was, it's just, I mean, but then if you're dealing with something regional, it makes sense. It was just really strange because I think that because they tried to have everybody from a certain region, you know, there are certain stories that were missed out from the people they had on there, not to mention the people they didn't even have on there, like Eugene said. So it was kind of, it was it was odd. It was a very odd kind of mix of things. Yeah, I mean, I think Paris was in there to bring that political credibility and to bring that to Tupac in a way, you know, like, mm. like just being there next to Paris in the sequence of the story right. yeah, makes, yeah. makes Tupac seem more political than he really was. But, but also Bay Area has just been a weird place for music, man. I mean, you can't you can't really get your handle around it and they've really never understood itself well enough to sell itself as a region like say Seattle did. I mean, you have Boss Skaggs, you have Eddie Money, you got Tower of Power, you got the Doobie Brothers, you got the Grateful Dead, the Jefferson Airplane. Well, none of it none of this the, makes sense, man. That was the San Francisco sound was the well, day I, I, and the airplane. Was, Everything up to Slystone and Credence was in that marketing package. Yeah. And I'm then just, after just, that San Francisco became like a music center and it and it had multiple sounds just like Seattle after grunge put Seattle on the map yeah. you had a variety of of styles coming out of Seattle and I'm just I'm just thinking about you know we had crime from punk rock and you, and 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 wasn't Helios want, Creed Bay Helios, Creed was a barrier guy and I think two things affected it 
I think Biafra getting into well-publicized arguments with Bill Graham. And so Bill Graham finally said, you know what? I don't have, I don't, fuck you. I don't have to, I don't have to do this music at all. You don't want me here. Bye-bye. And he just essentially turned his back on punk rock and new wave. Wasn't interested. Don't care. Fuck you guys. Well, that goes all the way back to his relationship with the Velvet Underground. Correct. In the 60s. Right. And then the second one was Howie, uh, Howie Klein, who uh, was at, who ended up being a big leaving the Bay Area, kind of throwing his hands up, going, "I can't do anything with these guys." Leaving the Bay Area, going to L.A., working for Sire, and I'm, you know, I met him at Biafra's house once, and he was just trying to hang, and but you know, aggressively, they were just San Francisco, Oakland has just aggressively resisted being successful in a significant long-term way, except for Too Short, because like the tortoise and the hare, who's not from here. Mm. Not from LA, but moved, but he moves there young enough, I think, to be truly <laughs> Bay Area. Well, but I'm saying, you know, sometimes like, you know, I came from New York. I couldn't get the time of day in New York. I came to California, formed Whipping Boy, went back to tour on New York, and all of a sudden I was cele- a celebrity. People were like, "What's it like from California?" I said, "I don't know. I'm from Flatbush. I just got there." You know. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you open your mouth you. and you ruin the mystique. <laughs> yeah, I remember you a year a year ago. You wouldn't talk to me. Yeah. This guy Ira, who's it's like, oh, I'm sorry, man. You know, so whatever. San Francisco Bay Area, and of course. None of that hip hop that they talked about was from San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So there's that whole weird kind of racial issue of San Francisco, Oakland, and then that cat's movie, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which is continued, you know, black. It's not flight if they're driving you out in San Francisco. It's just a weird, weird deal, man. All of it. All of it. And that's our episode. We'll be back next time with uh, Hip Hop Evolution Season 2, Episode 3. And I can't remember which region it is, but it's another regional episode and it's awesome. And we'll be back. Nate, Alexi, and Eugene will be back next week with a discussion of season two, episode three of Hip Hop Evolution, Do the Knowledge, which returns to New York to cover the bridge wars in native tongues. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast. And check out our website at LetItRollPodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast, and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.PantheonPodcasts.com. Yeah. Yeah.